Welcome to Church in the Basement, where we seek to see God more clearly and to live a life loving God and loving others. Hey everyone, good to be back with you. Uh, Today we're continuing our conversation uh, through Jesus' sixth I Am statement in the Gospel of John, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And we talked about the way and how it's this practical um, giving ourselves over to Jesus, submitting our lives to him and following a different way, his way. And then we started in on the truth, but there is really a lot to unpack here about the truth. And so we talked a little bit about absolute truth and what that means according to scripture. Um, And now we're in a place where, um, yeah, in just going through the study of this and sort of unpacking what truth actually is, I I really just want to challenge all of us today um, to simply read scripture. I know we live in a day and age where there are a lot of beliefs out there, a lot of denominations. There's a lot of access to even, even this podcast is like a, a, a product of the day and age where, man, I just really want people, I, w- I want to be helpful in, in understanding scripture, but I am not the end all be all just like a pa- pastor at your local church or wherever you may be, um, whether you're here in Yakima, um, or you're listening to all these prominent teachers online, um, or you go to a mega church, you go to a small church, um, which if you're not going to church, you should be um, gathering together with the body of Christ if you have that opportunity to gather together with the body of Christ and celebrating who God is and focusing in on God's word together. It has less to do with the person who's up on that platform week after week and more about being a part of what Paul describes in scripture as God's body, um, the children of God, his people. And there's something in that togetherness that uh, God works in and through, that he speaks through us to us. But in talking about the Bible, and um, I think there's a lot that we take for granted, and we'll go to uh, other teachers, and I'm guilty of this myself, um, we'll go to other teachers or turn on a YouTube video or a podcast or whatever it may be. And we check off the box in our hearts and in our minds. Oh man, I spent time in scripture today. And there's some truth to that statement, but the fact that we have access to all these great teachers and, and all this, these great resources does not negate the fact that we have access to the word of God. We have access to the Bible. And this wasn't always the case. In the 13th century, um, the Bible was prominently controlled by the Catholic Church. Um, And there were a number of individuals that, well, really the organization as a whole, were trying to keep the Bible from being in the hands of the everyday person. For that reason, they made sure the Bible was only translated in Latin, 
um, which was not the common tongue of most people, um, but it was translated into Latin so they could control who understood Latin uh, so that they could give basically their own interpretation or their own perception of what the words of scripture say. And a lot was added to and taken from, um, just like today, like, again, don't take any man or woman's word for what the scriptures say. We have access to it ourselves. But in this time, um, yeah, a lot of scripture was being controlled. Uh, scripture was being controlled by by the church at the time, which which was was the Catholic Church. Um, but there were a few individuals that that were scholars, and they read scripture, and um, because they were studying it, right? Um, and they read scripture, and they felt this deep conviction. I believe by the power of the Holy Spirit to help the everyday person, the average Joe, whoever it may be, whether they're a scholar all the way uh, down to what they would call then peasants, no matter where you are in the socioeconomic scale, um, how you were regarded or valued within society, that you should have access to the word of God. And this started in the 13th century with John Wycliffe. And what he did was he would translate um, the Wycliffe Bible was basically, um, it wasn't mass printed, but they were these different translations, just translating scripture um, into the common tongue at the time. And I've heard some of it read and it's, it, it's a lot of it actually needs translation for, for probably you and me to understand it because it was such an obscure um, form of English. Um, just like many languages have dialects um, or in some parts of the world, like you could go to Australia and, and somebody says something and it just, it doesn't make sense to maybe the average American. Um, I remember when I was there, uh, we're going down to the Savo in the Avo to grab a snaga. So it, you know, that means we're going to go down to the gas station and pick up some food, primarily a sausage in the afternoon. Um, again, I guess it's it's the equivalent of going down to the gas station and grabbing a hot dog um, in the afternoon. Um, but that it, it was sort of that kind of dialect. It was that kind of tongue where and language that um, maybe we wouldn't understand even the translations of the Wycliffe Bible um, as he's translating it for for everyone, everyone at the time. Um, and of course, uh, the Catholic Church did not like this. They opposed uh, Wycliffe. They did not put him to death, but they went as far as after he died, um, and and the pressure was applied on him while he lived um, to stop doing what he was doing and was opposed in many ways. I encourage you to go and look up the story in detail. Um, it, amazing story. But they even went as far as after he died, they dug up his bones and they burned them and spread his ashes and sort of like almost, I, I guess I could equate it to they cursed his, his like his bones, his physical body, which is silly. Um, if you've read, read scripture, um, 
you know that our body is only temporary, but the soul, our, our being, our very being is what is, can be eternal um, when we put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ. So they tried to do all this legwork to dishonor Wycliffe and what he did in making the Bible accessible to, to, to commoners, um, to everybody. So then we see in um, the 15th century, um, after this is around the time of Martin Luther, Martin Luther was um, uh, one of the major reformers. Um, Martin Luther was one of the first ones to say, hey, we actually don't get saved by work. Um, it's it's by faith that we are saved. There isn't any amount of traditions or prayers that need to be said. It's not who your priest is or whatever it may be. And, and again, these kind of things started um, to come into the hearts and the minds of people as Wycliffe is, is translating scripture so everyone can use their mind to discern what what the word is saying, right? It's exposed to to everybody. So Martin Luther says, "Hey, it it says here clearly in scripture that we are not saved by works, but we are saved by faith and faith alone and that God does the work in us. That God is the one who saves us when we put our faith and our trust in him. It's not by our work in any way shape or form." Um, and I know that gets into the topic of sovereignty of God and human responsibility. Uh, you know, my stance on that. There are two parallel lines. They do not intersect. They are both true truths that God is sovereign. Um, but he also calls us to participate in that and has sovereignly chosen for us to participate. Um, and Jesus in a lot of the things he said, no one comes to the father except through me and no one comes to me except those who the father sends me so believe. So those are those two truths side by side. Um, just, I know that's a little bit of a rabbit hole, but I just want to clarify my stance on that. Um, I take Jesus's stance on that um, from what I can see. So anyway, Martin Luther is saying these things, but at the same time, there is this young man by the name of uh, William Tyndale and William Tyndale was attending Oxford um, and I, th I think he was there to study theology, but wasn't really, didn't really have access to the scriptures to really understand, um, what they said. So, so of course he was most likely studying Latin there to understand the scriptures. And then he ends up going to Cam Cambridge, uh, to study Greek because around the same time it's Erasmus, um, had translated the Bible um, that there was a Greek translation of the Bible, um, that came out again, it was widespread in Latin, which is not, and, and the church claimed that Latin was the language of the Bible, which if you study the word, you know, um, that the old Testament was written in Hebrew, the new Testament was written in Greek. So this Greek translation comes out and is available. And I think the church was somewhat okay with that because the the prominent areas that they controlled didn't speak Greek, right? Um, so then William Tyndale switches over to Cambridge so that he can study Greek because he, he had, and he was inspired when he studied Greek and he read the word. He's like, everybody needs to know this. 
Everybody needs to hear the words of God and everyone needs to have access to the words of God um, because there's he w- he was seeing that there was stuff that that was not being included um, and was not being leaned into by by the Catholic Church at the time and a lot of things that were really being excluded um, and it, it I believe he was at a dinner at the time and he was with uh, some sort of Catholic um, higher up in his area. I think he was pastoring a church, um, back behind where he lived. And, um, anyway, he had some sort of Catholic, uh, guy over at his house. And the guy says, I'm going to read this to you. Uh, the guy says we had better. Oh, this is because William Tyndale was actually having this conversation with him. And he was in a lot of ways, like refuting, what, what this guy was saying at this dinner. And he's like, scripture actually says this. Scripture actually says this. And he was just using scripture. Um, again, a, a testament to not using our own words and opinions, but to use scripture whenever we're trying to present truth to people. Use the truth of scripture. Um, so William Tyndale is doing this. And he says, we had better or the other guy, the Catholic guy says, we had better be without God's law than the Pope's. So basically saying, decreasing the value of God's law and increasing the law of the Pope, basically placing the Pope over God, which that's, that's extremely blasphemous. And, but this, this was uh, a Catholic higher up in the area. So uh, Tyndale, to which Tyndale passionately responded, I defy the Pope and all his laws. And if God spares my life, ere many years, I will cause the boy that driveth the plow to know more of the scriptures than thou dost. Wow. Isn't that incredible? He's, he, I mean, uh, he laid a smackdown on this guy, but um, he's like, ba- basically he's, he's saying, I will make it my mission that people would know the truth of who God is, that people would have access to his word, to, to the scriptures, that he, that people would be able to engage with God, through the power of his spirit, through his word, and not have to go through somebody else because he's obviously seeing the corruption of the church firsthand uh, through the example of this, uh, probably in a society and, and through the culture that he lived in, but also um, through this, this representative of the Catholic church sitting here at the dinner table with him. And Tyndale was, from what I've seen and what I've studied, he he was a guy who, um, who was after people's hearts, um, and and to me that screams that the Holy Spirit had had bore fruit in him, um, that that he he was after people's hearts and he was representing the image of God in that Jesus has been after people's hearts from the beginning, um, and he knew that when people had access to the Word of God to the Bible. Um, that the Holy Spirit would breathe and speak and enlighten people's minds and their lives would be changed forever. 
So he made this his life goal. And because of that, he endured extreme pressure and persecution. Um, Along the way, he went and I think he even um, studied under like rabbinical teaching just so he could learn Hebrew. Um, But before that, he takes the Greek translation from Erasmus. Um, I hope that's the right name. Yes, I think it is the right name. Erasmus. Yes. Um, so under Erasmus, and and he translated the the New Testament, and he had at this time um, gone to this town above Brussels. Okay, here we are. Now I'm using notes. Um, this town above Brussels, um, where where he went and he met this. Um, this guy who had a printing business and he was sort of a fugitive at this point because of the pressure from the Catholic church. And, um, so he went to this town, I think there now they, they actually have this Tyndale museum, um, which man, uh, now it's on my bucket list to go. Um, what, what a, an incredible place to go and be, but, um, he ended up translating from the Greek to an English New Testament. And then uh, they printed something like 6,000 copies, right? And they shipped them over to England and smuggled them into England because at this time it was illegal, probably because of the stir of John Wycliffe. Um, It was illegal to have an English translation of the Bible. Is that not insane? In England, it was illegal to have an English translation of the Bible. And other parts of Europe weren't so strict on this, um, but England especially. Illegal. So he was hiding out uh, in another part of Europe, and he was printing these Bibles, these New Testaments that that were small. They were compact. Maybe you've seen those little orange New Testaments um, that you can slip in your, your pocket. They would have been similar to that because, again, the accessibility was was a major, major factor for him. He wanted people to be able to have the Bible in the fields, at the pub, wherever they were, that they would have access to the Bible. So he had these compact Bibles made. Um, and back then, like printing was um, generally, it was um, a lot of times when you purchased a book, it would just be the pages and you would go get it bound yourself if you loved the book enough. Um, which is kind of an odd concept um, that maybe not a lot of us realize, but back in the 15th century, uh, that's that's the way printing went. But he had them printed and bound and 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 compact and in this way that people could access them. Um, but almost like like this Robin Hood story, um, you know, the story of Robin Hood. He steals from the rich to give to the poor. Um, this was like Tyndale was was capturing um, the faith back from um, or capturing the word of God back from the Catholic Church at the time and and giving it to everybody. Um, and there were villains within this this period of history. Um, one of them was by the name of Robert Moore. Um, and you could imagine him if we're comparing it to the Robin Hood story. He's like the sheriff. Um, and, and he was like hunting down, um, 
trying to hunt down Tyndale. And he, they would even go to the extent of if they found any of Tyndale's Bibles, they would make a public spectacle. They would burn them in the streets while somebody's preaching and saying uh, there's over 2,000 uh, errors within the Tyndale Bible. But the reason why there were quote-unquote errors was because it had been modified for the sake of the power of the Catholic Church. Um, so really wild story. Um, and so it was it, the New Testament, the Tyndale uh, translation of the New Testament was outlawed and and even uh, Christians who, who were trying to read the Bible had to hide it um, in plain sight because who knows who was going to turn them in and that kind of a thing and sort of headhunted. I don't believe they were executing anybody who had the Bibles. They would just confiscate the Bibles and um, and burn the books, um, which is pretty, pretty wild because it, you're burning the word of God. You're burning the printed word of God. I just, I can't even imagine. That's, it's awful. That's evil. Um, so anyway, really wild. He ends up going and, and learning under sort of rabbinical teaching just so he can learn Hebrew and translate the Old Testament. And then he starts translating um, Old Testament books um, and trying to make them accessible to people as well. Again, all from overseas. Um, at different times, he lived in these different locations that were almost like embassies, um, like a modern day embassy, um, so that he couldn't, he, it was sort of this neutral ground where he's in another country, so he can't get arrested by, by England. Um, but then he's, he's in sort of a protected English, um, center so that he couldn't get arrested by the, the government or the country that he was currently in. Um, so he was a, a very smart guy, obviously. He was one of the leading, he was known as one of the leading scholars in Europe at the time. Um, and so long story short, um, a guy gets hired to pretend to be his friend, sent in as a spy um, and grab Tyndale or, or invite Tyndale out to dinner. So Tyndale, of course, being filled with the spirit and and having love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, goodness, self-control. Um, love would have marked this guy, right? He goes and he's made a new friend. He wants to go share his life with him, sit around the dinner table. You know how I feel about that. Like, let's go, let's have dinner. Um, and so he steps outside of his protected space and there are men waiting to arrest him. So then he's thrown in, in uh, pretty much a dungeon at the time. Um, and at this time, it's not just the Catholic Church. It's King Henry um, is also um, upset with him uh, because he, King Henry saw the popularity of the Tyndale Bible and the popularity of William Tyndale um, and asked Tyndale to come and, and sit on his court or be a part of um, his operations and Tyndale refused. Um, and King Henry got extremely offended by that. So he jumped on with the Catholic church. Of course, King Henry, if you study his history, he's, he was all wrapped up with, with the Catholic church and, and some said a, a little too much. Um, and so anyway, all this to say he is captured while in prison 
befriends the warden and the warden's daughter, just attesting to the character of this man. And eventually, um, he is burned um, publicly. And in order to show mercy, um, they actually strangled him or suffocated him first so he wouldn't have to burn alive. But there is uh, sort of a rumor throughout the history of the story that he it didn't work and he actually did burn alive. Um, kind of morbid, but that's the reality of it. Um, and his last words, get this, this is reminiscent of Stephen uh, in the Bible uh, in Acts 7. His last words were, Lord, would you open up the eyes of the king? Oh my gosh. I'm, I'm starting to get choked up. Lord, would you open up the eyes of the king um, of England? And so his final words, he was crying out and praying for his enemies. Um, just incredible. And it just reminds me of last, last night at Encounter. Um, we were going through John 15 and Jesus says, you know, abide in me and I in you and, and abide in my love. I am the true vine. And, um, he says, follow my commandments and I will love you. And, and we can panic and go, oh, God's, God's throwing rules on us. But then he says, my commandment is this, to love one another. And there is no greater love than one who would lay down his life for his friends. And I can't listen to the story of William Tyndale without hearing, man, that was Jesus in him. That was God in him. Um, because he was, his, his life was an example of, of one who would lay down his life for the sake of love, for the sake of his friends. And he saw every man, woman, and child needing access to the word of God. He saw everyone as his friend, that the greatest act of love that William Tyndale could bestow on on the world would be to grant them access to the word of God. What an incredible story. And this is only one story in history. This is the major one um, that we see within history. Um, there have been a lot of headhunters of the Bible um, where they've tried to wipe the Bible off the face of the earth. But through William Tyndale uh, and John Wycliffe, who st started this ball rolling, um, we now have access um, because after William Tyndale died um, and was burned at the stake, uh, Henry, um, for a, a complicated uh, mess of reasons, uh, ended up taking William Tyndale's translation of the Bible and sort of slapping some different names on it, at one point his own name on it, and taking credit for the translation of the Bible into English. And this is one of those examples where we see what, what man in, intended with evil purposes, God turns it for good and for the good of his kingdom that all would have access to the word of God, his word. And so what I'm going to ask you to do, um, and, and the reason why I'm telling you this story is because there's a lot of times where I encounter people who maybe have been walking with Jesus a long time and they say things that are contrary to the fundamental things that we see in scripture. 
and I'm not challenging their faith, I'm not challenging their salvation, but I want to look at them and ask them, have you ever read the Bible? And I'm asking you that right now, because if we're gonna start, or if we're gonna continue to talk about truth and the truth of scripture, I am going to urge you and challenge you and implore you to, um, if that's the right word, um, to sit down with God's word. And it, it doesn't matter how long you've been professing to be a Christian. It doesn't matter how lo- long you've been walking with God. You don't have to feel any guilt or any shame for not doing this beforehand. Maybe you're a new Christian. Maybe you're an old Christian. And you can say, I have never sat down and read this, the word of God from front to back. I'm going to ask you right now to make that your priority, to make that your priority in life, that you would read God's word. Because this word, there are people who have lost their lives to grant you access to this. We cannot take it for granted. Please sit down with the word of God. If you have a Bible next to you right now, when you turn off this podcast, would you sit down with it and and would you thank God for for protecting it? Would you thank God for the lives that were lost in order that that his word would be accessible to us? I challenge you today, set set up a reading plan. And hey, even if you have read the whole whole of scripture, would you set up a reading plan? that you would work your way through scripture all the way through front to back because when we do and we use our mind and 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 we access the word of god which is spiritually discerned we see life transformation because we see who god is and it will change everything forever let's not take for granted the word of god And let's spend time in it. Let's read through it. And let's let him change and transform us. Love you guys. Praying this is a blessing to you. Next time we get to be together, we will continue exploring the truth.